Hello friends, it is I, your host, Sunny, also known as Dynamic Symmetry on Twitter and Tumblr and many other places. Welcome to my second audio Walking Dead recap. Hang on just a second, I'm gonna get comfortable in my chair. <laughs> because, like I said last time, this is gonna be extremely unedited. I mean, no, not extremely, I'm gonna do some editing, but yeah, for the most part, this is gonna be not terribly professional. You guys seem to be okay with that last time. So, I mean, I'm assuming that's not going to be a problem this time either. Uh, the response to that was really cool. It, it did seem like a lot of people enjoyed it, which is, which is good because, I mean, I enjoyed it too. So, it, it definitely does seem to be easier for me to do than actually writing shit down. I mean, that's, that's kind of what I default to normally, but I also like to talk, so that's what I'm going to be doing. Um, I, I think we can assume that I'm going to be doing more of these then. Uh... Barring anything happening, such as me not wanting to watch the show anymore, which, you know, is possible, given some of the behind-the-scenes shit we've been hearing. But, I will say that it is probably not going to happen owing by the quality of the episode last night. So, I've got my tea. I've got myself. Let's get into it. I actually don't remember what the name of the last episode was. I, this is this is something that I'm shit about. I'm shit about remembering character names. I'm also shit about remembering the titles of episodes. I had to look up the last one, the one before this last one. So I actually don't remember what this last one was called, and I am not going to look it up because I don't give a fucks. But last night's episode, um, I'm kind of okay. Let me let me start with the first thing that hit me, which was the name title cards. Now this show. If you've been watching this show for as long as I have, which is, you know, years now, uh, you know that every now and then this show does weird stylistic shit. Um, it, it has done strange things with time, like in the mid-season premiere of uh, season five, it's done weird things with, like, title cards uh, cluing people into what's going on with time, like in the premiere of season five. Um, it's, you know what, I, I think Scott, Kemp, Scott Kimple just likes to get fancy. And I, I mentioned last week, I think, that there are some ways in which I actually really enjoy that. Uh, there are also some ways in which it pisses me off. And the reason why it pisses me off is that we usually only see it for like an episode or two. Sometimes we see it for more. There, there was this thing in season five with codas at the end of episodes, little post credit scenes. Um, I don't think we've really seen those since season five. That, that was kind of a season five gimmick and then we just really didn't see them again after that unless I'm just forgetting maybe one or two times. Regardless, it was kind of almost a convention in season five. Like it didn't happen every episode, but it happened a good amount of the time. And we just have not seen that since then. And last last night, the, the uh, different title cards kind of depicting what character was going to be the center of that story segment. I, I liked it. On the one hand, I liked it because given that we're switching back and forth between a lot of different storylines, focusing all around a lot of different characters, personally, I think too much. Uh, I think there is, if I have one major complaint about this show right now, it is just that too fucking much is going on. I don't really know how you'd fix that, but too much is going on. So I, I, I liked them in that they kind of provided a way to clue people in regarding what the different story segments were going to be about. And, you know, it, it, I don't think that everybody needs to be clued in 
to that, but I do think that there, there are situations in which it helps. And with the amount of jumping around, not only in terms of focus last night, but in terms of time, because that was something that I didn't expect, by the way. I, I, I kind of didn't expect the jumping back and forth between not only different character segments, but character segments that were not occurring purely concurrently. Um, I thought that was kind of neat. But the, the thing about the thing about the title cards is that I guarantee you we're not going to see that again. That was just last night. I could be wrong. Maybe we'll see it again this season, but I think we're probably not going to. And my problem with that is that it, it, it feels to me like they're just throwing shit at the wall. It doesn't feel to me like they are considering stylistic forms of storytelling in terms of how how they fit into the pattern of the overall story. They're just doing shit because they think it might be cool. And and I, I sympathize with that as a writer who very often just does shit because I think it might be cool. But I, I, I also, I try not to just throw things at the wall. I If I'm going to insert something in a story like fucking around with time, I try to make that consistent throughout the entire story because, yeah, I did it because I thought it was cool, but it's also there to do a job. And that job should be consistent throughout the story entire. And I don't really feel like this show does that particularly well. So on the one hand, you know, the title card Michonne came up and I was like, oh, that's kind of cool. You know, I kind of see where this is going right away. But I was also irritated because I was like, this is, this is fucking meaningless long-term. Or it's a useful device, which I did think it was, but we're not gonna see it used again. So that was a thing. Um, I, I liked, I'll tell you one thing I did like about those segments. I liked how focused they were, which is, again, something that I think this show is suffering from a bit right now. There's just so fucking much going on and there's so many fucking characters and they're all doing different stuff and they're all doing stuff. At this point, they're doing stuff at a fair amount of physical remove from each other. Um, they're, they're not in the same place at all. And, and that's fine. I mean, that's kind of how the story is working and I get it, but it, it, it does make keeping track of them all more difficult. And one of the things I liked about last night was that the story was still jumping around a lot. And we, I never felt like we really saw enough of each part of the story, but the parts that we did see were focused very strongly. And I liked that um, because, I mean, if, if, you, if you know me, uh, you know that I tend to really enjoy the episodes that kind of focus on one or t ideally two, one or two, but but you know maybe three or four characters in isolation from everybody else. Um, still is one of my favorite episodes on the show, and it is not just because I ship Beth and Daryl. It's also because I think that that episode is written in such a way that you get such strong character work with both of those characters, because they are there by themselves with nothing to do but play off each other, and that's brilliant. I mean, it's really well written, first of all, and second of all, it's just, it's a very good device if you want to do some really deep character shit. And I love the characters on this show, and I really want to see them do shit in a way that develops their character on a deep level. That episode was one of my favorite episodes long before I started shipping those two characters. I just loved it because it was so well written. Uh, Alone, which again, I know, like, uh, part, partly I love that just because of the ship, but also I love that episode because 
you do have different segments involving different characters, but the number of characters in those different segments is quite small. It actually was kind of a lot like last night. So you really got to get a sense of what was going on with these different characters in a way that you wouldn't if you were trying to pack the entire cast into a single episode. I don't tend to like those. They feel unfocused to me. Or it's not that I dislike them, but it's just that I like them less and I find them less satisfying, even though they're important for moving the plot forward quickly. So I like that about last night. Um, Michonne continues to just absolutely break my fucking heart. And, and I'll, I'll tell you something I really liked about her trying to put out the fire in the little gazebo thing um, that, you know, had, had such deep emotional significance to her. That was ultimately pointless. Like, you know, just cold hard fact, that was a pointless thing to do. It was emotionally, you know, reasonable, but it was practically completely unreasonable. She should not have done that. She should have just gotten in the car and they should have gone. But she jumped out of it and she tried to put the fire out. And why that struck me as so real is um, I'm currently working through a book about the aftermath of the atomic bombs dropped on Hiroshima and Nagasaki. And something that comes up more than once in the survivor stories of what that aftermath was like is a phenomenon that we actually see in the aftermath of a lot of natural disasters. Well, you know, the atomic bomb wasn't natural, but it was a disaster, which is that people, as they are struggling to process what has happened and as they are, are facing down their own profound level of shock, they actually start to focus on things that are completely meaningless. Uh, things that are just completely inconsequential, that they not only do they have no reason to be focusing on them, but they really shouldn't. Um, it's dangerous for them to be focusing on these things. They're, they're putting themselves and other people in, in physical danger with their desire to do these things. Um, one example that, that I felt was really poignant was uh, a Japanese soldier who was trying to locate a code book right afterward. You know, he was trying to go through the rubble of the building where he was stationed and, or where he was headed. And he was looking for this code book because he was like, I can't allow this to fall into enemy hands. And he managed to find what was left of it. And, and he got it to the, the next, uh, I don't know if it was an outpost or not. I can't remember, but the, he, he was looking for his, you know, his next commander and he managed to get the code book to them. And his commander was like, the fuck were you doing? we don't need this. You should have just gotten your ass out of there. And he actually got berated for it. But he was just so focused on this one completely inconsequential thing. There is actually a name for that phenomenon, and I don't recall at the moment, but it's something that we see over and over again. Um, uh, there was also a procession of people carrying a life-size portrait of the emperor, and everybody was incredibly focused on it, and they were bowing to it and revering it. And, and like, these people's skin was coming off. These people were dying of radiation poisoning. But, but in that moment, they were focusing on this one thing that had deep emotional significance for them, but absolutely no practical significance whatsoever. Excuse me, T. So that struck me as super real and, and really emotional, um, really emotionally effective. Some of that was just the acting, but a lot of it was also just that I was like, yeah, this would happen. Uh, um, Michonne's and Rick's reaction to Carl's death and, and the destruction of um, the uh, ASC, which is, how, okay, first of all, that's a little bit funny to me at this point, because how many times has that thing been destroyed? Um, but, but also it was, we've seen them lose their home so many times now that it's, at, at once it's sort of, 
comical in the sense of here we go again and also it's just like how much more can these people take and watching them have to flee their home you know while it's in flames uh and you know completely not completely but destroyed in a way that it's going to take a very long time to rebuild you know you 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 just kind of the sense of numbness and resignation you get um i think as as viewers uh, is is it matches I think what the characters are probably feeling pretty well. Um, I I saw a couple of people on Tumblr taking some issue with how Rick was reacting, which is to say he wasn't like a completely non-functional mess. He was actually not only was he getting up and doing stuff, but he almost seemed to be kind of pushing past it faster than he should have been. And I don't actually have a problem with that at all. And I'll tell you why after some more tea. One of the things that this, uh, this whole show has really been about from the very beginning, but I think that it's been about that even more poignantly since se beginning of season four, because I think that it's part of the overall story that Gimple is telling. Uh, it, it's about how people react and don't react in incredibly traumatic situations. It's about how people emotionally and psychologically survive the unsurvivable, which is cool because stories like this, post-apocalyptic stories like this, especially zombie stories, which, you know, let's face it, they kind of tend to be stupid by default. There are some that are very good, but they kind of tend to be stupid. They, they look at how people physically survive. They look at how people put together supplies and put together communities and... and find weapons and fight each other, but very frequently they don't really focus so much on the psychological and emotional aspects of it, of, of facing a world where everything has fallen apart and all of the rules by which you were living are completely destroyed. But this show really goes into trauma in some deep ways that I like a lot. And the primary thing that we see from Team Family is that they don't process it at all. They just, they just don't. They just repress and repress and repress and repress because they don't have time to do any grieving. They don't have time to work through any of their trauma. They just shove it down and they keep going. The core of that really came out in Rick's We Are the Walking Dead speech, um, where, you know, he was talking about his grandfather, you know, you rest in peace and get up and go to war. And how what you do is you just completely swallow your own pain and you just keep on going because what else are you going to do? And in the process, you end up kind of sacrificing a big part of your own humanity. And what I said last week about Carl and how he actually did beat the world was that, you know, he died in full possession of that humanity. And that was beating the world because it was resisting what the world is trying to do to you. you in the cold open of that show, what you see is that in his last day or so on Earth, he's, he's really behaving in a fully human way. He's embracing all the things he loves about the world. He's reminding himself of all the things about the world that he finds most valuable. You know, his family, the life that he's, you know, helped to build in this place, in this community. Um, this community that, you know, he's he's willing to die for this community. And he's also willing to die to save one one person. And because everyone is worth saving, potentially. And... That, that, I think, is a look at what happens when somebody kind of bucks that trend and really does come back to themselves fully and not really necessarily allow themselves to grieve because you, because you don't see him doing that. 
but allows themselves to feel. Because something we don't really see is people fully allowing themselves to feel things. You, you see people allowing themselves to feel fear and horror and rage, but like sadness and pain that doesn't involve aggression. And you see little snatches of people feeling love, but you don't really see enough of that. It's, it's more a kind of desperate survival love and less a kind of let's take a second to really enjoy each other love. You, I mean, we've seen, we've seen Rick and Michonne do some of that, but you know, not nearly enough. And I, I, I think that you, you see this over and over again in these situations where these characters suffer extreme loss and can't stop. They just have to keep going. You saw it with the prison. Uh, you saw it with Tyrese. You kind of saw it with Beth, but again, like Beth is an interesting case because we never saw what happened right after Coda. So we can only infer how everybody reacted emotionally to that. We never really saw it. We saw little tiny flashes of it, but we saw nothing that really gave us a good sense of what that was like, that aftermath. Because then we were just on to Tyrese. And you know, if you know me or if you were listening, you don't know me, you know, on that fandom level, but you listened to last week's uh, recap, you know that I think that that happened for a reason. You know, I think that was an exception for a specific reason. But bottom line, this is a trend that we've seen over and over again. So I don't actually have a problem with the fact that Rick just kind of dragged himself forward and didn't appear to actually be feeling a whole lot. And I think that one of the ways in which you see that was really intentional is when Michonne is like, you know, we should we should pull over. Like, we should read the, the notes that Carl wrote. We should actually try to work through what it was that he said to us as he was dying. And Rick's like, no fucking way. And that's, that's Rick doing Rick. That's Rick just completely swallowing his pain and swallowing his grief and just shoving it all into determination and cold anger. And then the very end of the episode is where you really see that. And God, okay, sorry, T. You know I love Rick. I talked about that last week too. Rick's a bad person. <laughs> it's it's another. It's it's like the it's like their home being destroyed over and over again. It's like you know what this guy is gonna do. You know what he should do, and you know he's not gonna do what he should do because he's Rick, and he's just. So, you know, when he was when he was with Carl at the end and he was saying, you know, I'm going to make it real, this vision that you have, this thing that you want the world to be. I'm going to do that for you. I'm going to honor you by making by making this vision of yours real. I, I was like, no, you're fucking not. <laughs> you are absolutely not. The second Carl is gone, you are just going to revert to the person that you always are when you're put under severe emotional strain and you're going to be ripping people's throats out with your teeth because it's what you fucking do, Rick. So... You know, when he talks to Negan and is like, this is what my son said. Fuck what my son said. I was just like, yeah, that's our Rick. I love him, but that's our Rick. Now, of course, we know that that's not where that's going to end. Because we have, you know, we have that little weird little flash forward that, I mean, strongly suggests to me that Rick is going to end up not killing Negan. Now, we, we, have, we have that from the comics. In the comics, he doesn't kill Negan. This show departs from the comics in some important ways. Uh, whenever it departs from the comics, I usually love it because the comics are fucking terrible. But I have a very bad feeling that this is one way in which we're not going to depart from the comics. We're going to keep Negan around. And I hate that because he's so boring. But yeah, 
one way or another, I think we're gonna keep Negan around. And that decision on Rick's part not to kill him is, is gonna be kind of where this is all heading. And I get it, because we need to see Rick wrestling with himself in that way, but yeah, I just, uh, uh, I don't know, Rick. I just don't know. On the other hand, Red Machete Rick is like the hottest Rick. Like completely morally bankrupt Rick. If you read, if you read my fanfic, you know that completely morally bankrupt Rick is like my favorite Rick. Yeah, not all the time, but uh, the latest, uh, latest chapter of Hal kind of had him a little on the edge. But yeah, all right, yeah. Again, like you guys know, this is totally, totally a ramble. But my point, uh, I, I swear to God, I do have one. My point is that I get it. I get why Rick reacted that way. And I, I, I think that it worked because Michonne was such a counterpoint to it. Michonne was, Michonne was doing what she's been doing for Rick this whole time, not entirely successfully, which is she's trying to remind him of who he, who part of him really wants to be. And she's trying to remind him of who he should be. Last week I said that, that Rick kind of never got back a moral compass. Um, well, I mean, never really got it back after he lost Herschel. And, uh, you know, Daryl was that a little bit, but now completely not. If anything, the exact polar opposite. And, but I, so I said he didn't really have anybody to do that. That's not true. He has Michonne. I don't think that Michonne does it in quite the way Herschel did, but he does have Michonne and Michonne is still strong for him in a way that somebody needs to be. But I don't think she's strong enough right now. And I'm not saying that against Michonne. Michonne's an incredibly strong person, but I don't think that she has enough force of personality in that way to the point where she's prepared to use it in that way. I could be wrong. It's a very interesting dynamic. We'll see what happens to it. But, but yeah, the, 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 their dynamic in, in last night's episode was just really good in general, I thought. Um, moving on to Negan. I want, to, I want to say a thing about Negan. I want to say a couple of things about Negan. Uh, like I keep saying, like you should know at this point, I, I, I really do not like Negan. Um, I don't like Negan because I think he's boring. I don't like Negan because I think he's a total Robert Kirkman self-insert. I think that you, you see the grossest parts of like white straight fuckboy Robert Kirkman in Negan. Uh, you, you, you see it in the whole, like, well, I'm actually an honorable person because I don't rape anybody and I don't let my people rape anybody and I hate rape and I will defend women in that respect and I didn't make any of these women marry me. I let it be their choice because, you know, I completely understand consent. I, I, I get, I really got the feeling in the comics that coupled with the really obnoxious monologues and just the stupid use of profanity. It's not clever. It's just fucking stupid. I, I, I really get the sense that Negan is in there not as a self-aware character, or he's not being written in a self-aware way. Kirkman genuinely loves this guy. He thinks he's, he thinks he's very cool. He wants the audience to think he's very cool. I do not think Negan is cool because I, I really feel like I see what he actually is in terms of how he's being written and how he's being written is gross. I will say that Negan on the show has not really been that way. I still find Negan boring on the show because 
he doesn't really have a character to speak of in the comics. Like I said, he's just kind of this force of nature. He's a thing that is making more interesting stuff happen. So there, I, I really think there's like no depth there. I, I think they've kind of tried to throw a little depth in here and there, but there just, there just isn't. He's just not a deep character at all. But one way in which I think the show has improved on him a lot I was really hoping he'd be like a governor figure, because like I said again last week, the governor is amazing. The governor in the comics is a is like a rape monster cartoon. He's awful. The governor on the show is spectacular. I was hoping they'd do that with Negan. They did not do that with Negan, and I think they didn't do that with Negan because they're just... I think Kirkman would have been like, no, no, don't touch my baby. And also, I just... I think there's really... There's nothing there to work with, really. But one thing the show has done that I like is I feel like the show gets what's actually going on. And something I would really love to know, which I will tell you after I have more tea. Something I would really love to know is what the dynamic is like in the writer's room for this show. Like, I would love to know what the dynamic between Scott Gimple and his team and Kirkman is. Like, is is there is there some kind of conflict there at all? Is Is there a sense of difference in vision? The, the one thing that makes me think that there might be is how completely incongruous Glenn's death scene was to the entire rest of the season, uh, of season seven, because Glenn's death scene was terrible. Like, it, it, was, it was absolutely fucking terrible. And I think that it would be very easy for Negan fans to hear me say that and think, well, you're just saying that because you were offended by it and you were just, you, you can't take the gore and you were just grossed out by it. And then, you know, you, you're, you're just, you know, you're a snowflake and you're triggered. No, I'm a fucking horror writer. I just finished a novella that will probably not be published because it is that, it is just terrible on every level because of how horrifying it is. And it is horrifying in a very violent way. I never shy away from writing violence. Um, I really like writing violence, actually. There's, there's, there's a visceral quality. There's a visceral anger quality to writing violence that I really enjoy. What I hated about uh, Glenn's death scene was that it was violence very poorly applied. It was violence very clumsily used. Uh, you could have had that. You could have had that scene be just as bloody, but you could have tweaked it in some ways that would have made it more horrifying because you would have shown a little less. Uh, I, I could go into a whole thing about how I would rewrite and refilm that scene if I could. But that scene was just bad. And it was bad kind of in the way that Beth's death was bad, except that it actually did make sense. Um, Glenn's death, I mean. It, it was just, it was an unusually clumsy death for a very, very important character. And the rest of that episode was very good, I thought. People hated that episode because Glenn's death scene, and I totally get this, kind of overwhelmed the rest of the episode. But if you, if you ignore that scene and just watch the rest of the episode without that scene, it's a really good episode. A lot of that's due to Andy's acting. But I felt like maybe some kind of a devil's bargain was struck between Gimple and Kirkman, where it was like, okay, you let this scene stay. This scene is my scene, 
Kirkman says, I love this scene. This scene is central to the story I'm telling. It's so important to Negan's character. He's such a badass. You absolutely must keep this scene in and you must keep it pretty much word for word exactly what it was in the comics and don't touch a single thing. It's gonna be my scene the way I wrote it and it's gonna be in there completely and it's gonna be just as bloody as it was in the comics and Glenn's eye's gonna pop out. It's gonna be fucking disrespectful to these characters in every way and it's just gonna be terrible and you don't touch it, Scott. And Gimple was like, fine, you get that scene. I get the rest of the season. You get that scene, you get it exactly, exactly the way you want it, it's just like it was in the comics, and you keep your hands off the rest of the season, and it's my season. Because that is what it felt like happened to me. Uh, the rest of the season was spectacular. And one of the reasons why it was so spectacular is that it really kind of became a uh, Fury Road zombie edition. The women were amazing. Uh, the men were just kind of useless, but the women were taking control. The women were spectacular. The women were doing everything important. The women were yelling at the men for being pretty useless. Oh, and then there was Aaron. There was women and the queer guy. <laughs> uh, and, and, and yeah, and it was, it was amazing. And the thing that really kicked it into Fury Road territory for me was the wives. Because the show, I think, is very aware of the fact that these women have not consented to anything. Like, yes, technically they've chosen it in the sense that, you know, Negan gave them a quote-unquote choice, but none of them consented because coercion is not consent. Co consent is impossible in the presence of coercion, and all of these women were coerced, and none of them are happy. And Sherry is kind of like the, you know, splendid Angarad, and, and she's, you know, she's sort of the head wife who's the main center of resistance, potentially. Then she runs away. But yeah, you, you, you really get the sense that the show is aware of who Negan actually is. And it's not really changing him, but it is commenting on him in some important ways. And ways that I do not think Kirkman would necessarily have written. Now, I should say again that I stopped reading the comics just about right after Glenn died, and I stopped reading the comics because I just got bored. Like, I just, I just didn't care anymore. And it was also really becoming misery porn, and it's just, I love angst. If you've ever read Everything Where It Belongs, you know that that's like some of the heaviest angst imaginable, and it goes into some, it goes into places I went to because I just wanted to see if I could go into places that bad. But it, it was, the comics were just bad. So I don't really know all the details of what happens with Negan after that, but, but yeah, I, I, I don't get the sense that he's changed from the comics, but what's around him has changed. Now, let me get back to what I was talking about a million years ago with what happened last night. What happened last night was that Negan was making kind of a classic mistake that tyrants make which is that he's, and he's been making that since season seven. And again, that was one of the things I loved about season seven. He's falling into the trap of believing his own hype. Like he really does believe that, that he is this sort of all powerful God figure, and that he really is this savior figure. And he is absolutely not gonna back down from anything and he's not gonna relinquish any of his power. And he really feels like his power is absolute. He feels like he understands the whole table. He understands, he understands all the pieces on the table. He knows exactly how to move them. He knows which ones to take out. He thinks that if he takes out Rick, all the resistance disappears. That's fucking stupid. Like, no, it doesn't. 
the resistance against him is complicated, as as most resistance efforts are. They're they're not homogenous and they're not led by a single person, uh, or at least no no even vaguely successful resistances ever are, because you don't want to have a situation where you can just cut the head off the snake and the snake dies. You want to have multiple heads. Now the 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 thing about that is that you have various parts of a resistance potentially at odds and not agreeing about what to do and Rick makes a plan and everybody's like, okay, Rick, and doesn't follow the plan. So that is in some respects a weakness, but the complexity of the resistance is also a strength because Negan doesn't see the complexity. Negan has a very oversimplified understanding of the world. He thinks he doesn't, but he does. He, he has, since we have met him, he has failed to see resistance happening right under his nose. He's failed to see resistance happening right in front of him. Or he, he, he might see it, kind of, but he does not see the full extent of it. And he doesn't see the dynamics on which it's operating. And he doesn't see how different people who are resisting him are working with each other and against each other in different ways. And where you really saw that last night, uh, it wasn't just in his saying, okay, you know, all we need to do is take out Rick and everybody else will fall in line. It's again, it's like fucking ridiculous. No, in no scenario is that going to happen. But he also doesn't see what's going on with Simon. He just kind of assumes Simon is going to follow his orders in the end. And of course, Simon really doesn't. Simon is a free agent in ways that uh, Negan is not aware of. Because it's, it's, he just, his imagination just doesn't go that far. He's got a lazy imagination and he just, he misses it. He misses even the possibility of it. So Simon goes out and, and does exactly what Negan told him not to do and just kills the whole junkyard gang. Sidebar, very annoyed by the fact that nobody else has adopted my name for the junkyard people, which is a superior name to everybody else's in every respect because it's a band name. Everybody should call them Jadis and the junkyard gang. Nobody but me calls them that. It's tragic. Anyway, the Junkyard Gang is all, you know, mushed up now, so it's just Jadis. I'll talk about Jadis in a second. But, but yeah, uh, yeah, Simon, Simon was a really key example of ways in which Negan is failing. And I think that we're seeing little glimpses of, of why he's going to ultimately fail completely and lose the war. He doesn't understand the resistance. Um, I actually wrote a whole meta last year, I think, about why this is an uncomfortably timely story. How, how Negan is kind of a Trump figure. Like, he's not as stupid as Trump, but I think that he has weaknesses of imagination in a lot of the same ways that Trump does. Yeah, it's just, I, it's, it's weird how this story kind of fits into the zeitgeist in ways that I don't think it was meant to, because it was mostly written before, yeah, before all of this went down. See. So yeah, I, that's, that's one reason why I actually kind of liked that segment, those two segments. I love to hate Simon. He's just so fucking awful. Oh my God. Jadis. Uh, I, I get the sense that there are large parts of this fandom that have kind of a hate on for Jadis. I don't understand why she's so great. Um, my understanding is, by the way, that she's not in the comics. So again, you see a, a major divergence from the comics I love. I, I always love when the show doesn't do what the comics do, just about. Yeah, Jadis is great. A lot of it is because the, the 
actor who portrays her is absolutely fantastic. Uh, but it's also just that she, she's such an interesting character. I, you know, I, I, I never, I never get the sense initially in scenes with her if she's got the upper hand or if the people who are against her have the upper hand. It can be so hard to tell because she's such an enigma. Uh, or she was until, you know, the end of her segment last night. And I kind of was like, you know, she's going to take, she's going to take Simon out. Simon has no idea what he's walked into. Um, you know, they're on her turf and she, they're surrounded by her people. And, and, you know, it's, it's, she's going to come out on top at the end of this scene. And that's not at all what happened. And you saw her kind of very controlled, kind of smug, superior facade completely break when she actually sees her people being killed. And I hated that because it was so awfully sad, but I also really loved it because I loved seeing a character that I was pretty sure was, you know, still waters run deep. I was pretty sure there was a lot more there that we just weren't seeing. Her, her art, you know, gave me little glimpses of something else going on behind her, behind what of her character we were seeing. Um, also her really sly sense of humor. I love. But but yeah, we, we got to see Jadis kind of break in a way that was fascinating. And particularly the very end where she's grinding up all of her people into cat food. Um, that was that was a, a classic Walking Dead gross out moment, but it was also really emotionally effective. Again, I think partly because, or significantly because of how it was acted. Um, and it, yeah, it's just like, I loved her abandoning her particular way of talking and the way all of them had of talking just you know very very minimal and abandoning a lot of extraneous words and strange strange in a way that you kind of wonder how they got like that and you really saw that that was an affectation now we don't know the degree to which it was an affectation on the part of her other people but for her at least it was a total affectation when everything broke for her she talked normally and, you know, that, that also made me kind of wonder, you know, who was this person originally? Not only what was this place, who was this person? Because this person was somebody before everything fell apart and she took on this role and she talked a little bit about how that happened. And she talked a little more about, you know, the fact that she was an artist before the world ended. But yeah, you just, ah, so much was hinted at and, and so little was actually shown and Sometimes that infuriates me, and sometimes it really makes me excited. Um, in this case, I'm more excited than infuriated because I just, you know, we know, you know, we haven't seen the last of Jadis. She's, I think, going to come back and be pretty important. You know, much in the way that Oceanside has kind of popped back in at crucial moments and continued to be really significant. And you know, we're not done with them yet, not even close. Um, I think they're going to be integral to kind of the last act of this whole thing. But yeah, Jadis. I thought that her blue cat was interesting. Um, I mentioned on in my live blog that the color blue was a thing. Uh, the color blue was pretty clearly a thing. I don't think it was very subtle that it was a thing. I don't really understand what was up with that. The color blue was a thing and cats were a thing. Cats have kind of, cats have been a thing really since Michonne went back for the cat in God, I can't remember if it's season three or season four. No, season three, season three. And that's actually in clear, I think. That's a Gimple episode. Yeah, that episode ended up being very important later on. But yeah, cats are a thing. 
I don't really know what they mean, but they're important too. Oh yeah, Shiva fits into that too. Or, or could, wow. Okay, I gotta think more about this. But blue, you know, there were the blue handprints, which really ruined Michonne all over again. And there was the blue paint. And there was the blue cat. And then there was the blue paint again, spilling all over Simon's shoes. And he really seemed to notice that and potentially even be a little shaken by it. So what did that mean? Yeah, I don't know. I don't really have any answer to that. But uh, it'll be interesting to see if it shows up again. I mean, cats have been a theme across seasons, I think, uh, in a really subtle way. And yeah, we have the red A's also. And I still don't understand what's up with the red A's. That just, I, I can't decide. All right, if, if, again, if you know me, you know that I used to be super into Lost years and years ago, back when it was originally on TV. Um, and, and the end of it infuriated me. And why the end infuriated me is that they took all of this stuff that I thought was so cool, like the numbers, and it ended up meaning fucking nothing. Like there's this one scene with Jacob, the kind of the God figure at the end of the season where they're like, oh yeah, numbers. Jacob already always did like numbers. And it's like, fucking hell, those numbers were like so important since season one, I think. And, and they just ended up being this one God who liked numbers. Like they didn't actually mean anything? Seriously? So I, I worry a little bit sometimes that things like the red A, things like cats, things like the color blue, things like deer, I honestly think. I think deer are important on this show because they pop in also at crucial moments, which I'm not gonna talk about now because it's a whole other thing. I, I worry that these things ultimately don't mean anything. Um, I worry that these things are actually just Gimple being clever. Just hoping that it doesn't turn out that these things are there for no reason. I don't think they are, but I'm troubled by the idea that they might be. Okay, one last one last thing uh, before I kind of talk very briefly about next week, which is very briefly, I just had a couple feelings about next week, the promo I saw for next week. Um, n how Negan reacts to finding out that Carl is dead. N Negan's relationship with Carl is also one other thing about him that I don't find completely boring. And I, I, on the one hand, I, I kind of do because it's another artifact of the comics. So I'm biased against it to begin with. I, I kind of felt like it was Kirkman's attempt at giving him some depth that just completely failed because it was just, I don't know, it was just, it, was just, it wasn't well done. I'm not going to analyze why it wasn't well done, but it wasn't well done. But on the show, yeah, I, I feel like it's a little more interesting and partly because of how we see Carl reacting to it on the show. But I, it, you know, I really was wondering when Negan appears to be broken up about this, is, is he genuine? Is he actually sad? And I think he was, but I also don't think that Negan is really capable of deep emotion. You know, it's, that's like, that's kind of, in, in some respects, I think this is kind of, you know, something that comes out of TV and movies about serial killers, and those are always going to be really oversimplified and questionable in terms of how they deal with psychology. But, you know, one of the classic stereotypical qualities of a psychopath slash sociopath, those are different things, but whatever, is, you know, the inability to feel deep emotion. You know, the kind of the kind of the surface level charm and maybe acting emotion, but you don't, like Hannibal, you know? You have kind of a person's suit, but underneath you're just kind of this, you know, cold-eyed reptile. 
I think, I don't think Negan is exactly that, but I, I don't think he's capable of deep emotion. Really, maybe, maybe anger and frustration, but I don't think there's a whole lot else there. But I do think that in his way, he was sad about it because I think that in his way, he liked Carl. Uh, I think that he liked Carl because he found Carl entertaining. I think that that's the only reason he ever likes anybody. They entertain him. But I do think that Carl entertained him in a unique way. And because of that, he had a unique attachment to Carl. So I do think that he was sad about it. Um, not in a human way, but you know, in a Negan way. And the way he turned that around and just used it to kind of batter on Rick, like with Lucille, um, I, I, th I think that that was in part, that was him seizing on a moment of weakness that he thought he could use to hurt Rick. But I also think that that was him taking his own grief, such as it was, and turning it around into anger and aggression towards somebody else, which is an interesting mirror of exactly what Rick was doing, which is that he was taking his own pain and grief over the loss of his son, and he was turning it around into rage and a desire to completely slaughter all the saviors and, you know, end the war in exactly the way that Carl did not want him to do. So they, there, is, there is a dynamic between these two characters that doesn't completely bore me. I don't find it as interesting as I did the dynamic between Rick and the governor, but there, yeah, there, there's something there that is a little bit interesting to me and that does make me wanna kind of watch where it goes, um, particularly how it ends. Because I, I think that in some ways the show is probably gonna work that in ways I would have expected, but I also think there may be some ways in which it works it that I didn't see coming. Yeah, that might be me putting too much faith into the show, but yeah. Uh, Aaron, I, oh yeah, I wanna, yeah, I just wanna say one word about Aaron, which is that he's fucking great. And there needs to be more Aaron forever. And in fact, you know, I would just watch an Aaron spinoff. And also I continue to be absolutely infuriated by the fact that we haven't seen Aaron and Daryl together at all since like, what, season six? Was it before then? We haven't seen them together at all. And that was one of my favorite budding bromances on the show. Oh, I just love them together so much. I love Daryl and his queer friends. Oh God, we haven't had any of that really, except he does, no, that's not true. He does seem to kind of have a thing with Tara now, which is, yeah, that's, that's one of my favorite parts of Daryl on the show, by the way, just like he's the guy you would least expect to be really close friends with all the queer people, but he seems to gravitate toward them, if anything. Like, he's not only okay with them, but he's like, you guys, you guys get me in a way that other people don't. And uh, if you, you know, if you headcanon Daryl as asexual, which I do, then that's like, yeah, you know, he's, he's kind of, all of the non-heteronormative people are all kind of hanging out together and that's fun. Yeah, more Aaron, please. I'm excited for that. Next week. I, you, should get, you guys should know I don't watch The Talking Dead. I just, because I don't care. Um, I usually just wait and see if something happened that was important that I should pay attention to. But I, actually, mostly since CODA, I just, I haven't been able to watch it because I just, I don't know. I have like this gut level aversion to it. I just can't. And I especially wasn't going to watch it with Kirkman on. I should have watched it because Ross Marquand was on though. Fuck. Okay, I might go back and watch it actually, just for Ross. I think he was on. Yeah, I'm pretty sure. Um, but so I, if I did not see the additional promo for next week that they usually play during Talking Dead, but I'm 
this is like a purely self-indulgent, not even recap of the show thing. This is more of a my relationship with this fandom thing and stuff that I've been sort of mulling over uh, in the last couple weeks. I'm troubled by my relationship to Daryl a little bit. I, I mentioned last week that I'm getting frustrated kind of with his arc and the fact that it doesn't really seem like it's going anywhere except that it's terrible. It's it's progressively worse. Uh, I think we might see some stuff with him and taking care of Judith, but on the other hand, let's not kid ourselves. We're going to get one scene of him carrying Judith into the hilltop and then never nothing ever again. Just like we saw one scene of connection between him and Maggie and then we never saw anything again. I... Uh, yeah, I, I just, I'm, I'm feeling increasingly disconnected from Daryl like he is now. And I don't like that because I had a really super deep emotional connection to Daryl since I got into the fandom. Like he's, I have a type and he's, he is my type, but Daryl was it for me. And I kind of don't feel that so much anymore. And I don't like that. I don't really know what to do about it, but I don't really like it. And I mean, I mentioned that because it looks like we're actually going to see some of him next uh, next episode, which I'm happy about. But on the other hand, I think it's kind of maybe going to bring me face to face again with the fact that um, I do not feel the connection with his character that I used to. I keep hoping that's going to turn around. I really don't know, though. All right, I'm done. going to close this up and uh, go work on some other stuff. I, like I said, I, I'm enjoying this. Uh, hopefully you are too. Hopefully you're not finding it a completely boring ramble. Um, I don't do this with notes, so I just kind of do it as a, you know, stream of consciousness. Not even really different sentences, just one long continuing sentence for the whole thing. But it's fun. Uh, I, I probably will keep doing it. Thank you guys for listening. Uh, quick plug. Like I did last time. If you enjoy this, if you want to help me keep doing this, I mean, this this is this is part of a larger podcast where I do you know interviews with people in this fandom and I read fanfic and I put a lot of effort into the production of it. And if you enjoy that, if you want to help me keep doing it, if you enjoy my fic, if you enjoy the books I make of my fic, if you enjoy any of the stuff that I do, if you like my professional writing, uh, you can help me out. You can go to patreon.com slash dynamic symmetry. I have some rewards up there. You can give me a couple dollars a month or whatever, and you get some stuff for it. And I think it's pretty cool. So go check that out if you want to. And you can also buy me coffee if you want to do that too. And it's awesome if you do, because I'm starving grad student really trying to finish up my dissertation and move on with the rest of my life. So yeah. Thanks for listening. Uh, yeah, I got nothing else. But this was fun. And I'll talk to you again next week. Bye.